stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! It's the Sankan. It's El Tercera Corona. It's the Triple Crown. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Yes, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever or wherever you are listening to this podcast, welcome to Motorsport 101. No, this is not, in fact, your friendly neighborhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, um, because we have just learned that Andre Harrison has been disqualified from the podcast for excessive Snapple Flow violations. Uh, We take this very seriously, and as a result, Andre Harrison has been disqualified from the podcast. Dre's going to be back next week, though. So, for now, you have us from uh, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I am RJ O'Connell. And, uh, folks, uh, one of the great tra- Lamar traditions, because we're going to be talking a lot about the 24 hours of Lamar, is just, you know, going to the outdoors, uh, hanging out, having beers, socializing, going out to cook. One great uh, outdoor cooking uh hobby is a barbecue so naturally we brought in somebody from the barbecue capital of the united states to you know discuss things of this nature that's right we brought in ryan king from new york (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm about to teach you southern boys how to barbecue today i learned from the best in brooklyn Taking uh, taking very much offense to this as our <laughs> guest because uh, because uh, because after Dre's uh, disqualification from the uh, podcast podium, uh, we've had to promote up to third place from uh, from Hooniverse and the DFL podcast, and now also for Motorsport101.com, uh, Patrick Hofsetter. I I was there was a roundabout way that in the half of that intro for King, I was. Un- I was I was worried that there was no joke and you were just vamping and I was not queuing on to something. Then it wrapped all the way around and I'm like, I saw the Brooklyn thing coming and I, yeah, that was an affront to God. That was an affront <laughs> to the ant. That animal should not have died for that barbecue. Are you kidding me? $20 for that. Are you kidding me, Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, he, the fuel flow rate is uh, non-negotiable. R.I.P. Daniel Ricardo's Australia podium. R.I.P. Land Motorsports chance of winning GTD at the Rolex Twenty Four. And oh. uh, and uh, also also uh, this uh, this podcast is gonna go quicker than a Honda Power Red Bull. Yes, we're just dating this podcast being recorded on the evening of june 18th 2018 this is episode 146 and in it we're going to be talking a lot about the 86 running of the toyota of the uh, the 24 hours of the mind how fitting <laughs> that, that to- how fitting of that slip of the tongue because it is the toyota 86 that's right toyota wins the curse is over and uh oh boy it uh, it wasn't really close was it but there's still a lot of stuff to talk about we're going to talk about 
a a absolute beat him down that turned out to be a lie. Everything you saw was a lie in LMP2. We'll get into that. We'll talk about hashtag Smokey Bacon in the GTE classes and a McDreamy victory in GTM as Patrick Dempsey uh, fields the winning car in the Pro-Am GT category. And we'll also have plenty to say about the maximum stint lengths, uh, BOP changes, equivalents of technology, silly penalties, uh, crumbling LMP1 privateer challenges, and of course, some guy who's uh, who's, who's very good, we're here. Um, he's now two-thirds of a way to some sort of prize called the Triple Crown. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that, and we'll, uh, we'll dive into some racer metrics as well. In the meantime, because I'm not very good at this part of the podcast, but this is where we get to plug all the places where you can find, listen to, enjoy Motorsport 101 and all of its content. No better place than motorsport101.com. That's right. It's motorsport101.com. It's where you can find every episode of both this show and the Bike Live podcast. And if you subscribe to us on patreon.com slash motorsport101, Five dollars gets you early access to every episode of this and Bike Live, where we're going to talk about the Catalan Grand Prix of MotoGP. So Dre will be back for that to talk about. Jorge Lorenzo is uh, Jorge Lorenzo's back. Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of weird. He announced he's leaving Ducati, and is like, I want to be good now. <laughs> and Mark Marquez is going to say something really cryptic and weird about how he feels Ducati is celebrating the difference in victories. <laughs> yes we will get into all of that on our next episode of bike live again five dollars gets you early access to that show and to this episode which if you have early access you're probably listening to it right now and just pointing out all the inconsistencies in the editing of course you can find us on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101 and if you want to follow us personally we are at harrison 101 hd we are at ryan eric king that's with two k's we are at rj o'connell that's with two n's and two l's and we are at party pat 116 now it's time it's time to crack open the grand prix don durance the 86 running of the 24 hours of lamar after this quick musical interlude It's Motorsport 101 After Dark. And that means it's time to race into the sunset. That's right. The 33-year curse is over. It's finally happened. Yato, Yato. Toyota won the big one. They did it. They really did it. They did it. They finally did it. No more reminiscing of the gearbots breaking under the late great Jeff Krosnoff in 1994. No more anguishing over Ukio Katayama blowing a tire on the run through Indianapolis in 99. No more nightmares about Anthony Davidson flipping and breaking his back in 2012. 
No more awful memories of the loom wire fire in 2014. And of course, you can just bury all those terrible, terrible memories of the last lab breakdown in 2016. They did it. They finally did it. We kind of knew they were going to do it, but they did it anyway, and that's still a pretty damn good thing. <sighs> There's a lot to unpack here, folks. There is a lot to unpack. Because yeah. it, it, it felt like this was coming. Um, it's not Toyota's fault that you know, Volkswagen cheated their emissions test and had to make Audi and subsequently Porsche leave in back-to-back -back seasons. It's not their fault the budgets escalated too high for this uh, this new LMP1 hybrid regulation set that Peugeot screamed and clamored for. And then as soon as it got put into place, they were just like, well, bye. Peace. <laughs> um, it's not Toyota's fault that a lot of the privateers that we saw uh, were very much hamstrung from the get-go, even before we got to Le Mans. Uh, whether that be the financial problems at Manor or the wrecked car at Dragon Speed or at SMP Racing at Spa. It, it, yes, it was somewhat of a gimme victory, but there is still a lot of genuine, real accomplishment to what Toyota did. After so many close calls, they finally did the damn thing. Yeah, King? I... I... Go ahead. King, King, how do you feel about this? We live in a uh, world where the Chicago Cubs have won the World Series and Toyota has won Le Mans. Man, it, it, it felt inevitable that it was going to be this year, but again, anything could have happened. Man... Rafa Nadal was, you know, star of the race, so you don't, you don't know that that bad luck could have rubbed off in the Toyotas, but they were able to, they were able to bring it home. Tennessee Our good, Cubs. good tennis boy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. So a lot of the attention around this race centered around uh, one of the drivers in the number eight car, uh, who it turns out is still a really good racing driver. And for all of the very, very unhealthy uh, hype that centered around him and only him throughout the entire race meeting, as it turns out, Fernando Alonso is still really good at this driving thing. Because uh, we didn't expect him. I didn't expect him, honestly. And this is coming from, you know, the, the day one Alonso stand of the podcast. Uh, but as it turns out... Uh, you know, I was expecting him to really carry this team because I knew that he had two very capable drivers in Kazuki Nakajima, who, let's, uh, let's lay it out there, he took the pull, and Alonzo will tell you that Kazuki Nakajima did put that number eight Toyota on pole position. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was expecting, you know, this is only Alonzo's third sports car endurance race it's only his second 24 hours he wasn't that impressive at the Rolex 24 in LP2 category competition and I was kind of thinking Alonzo will do well but you know he's not going to really like explode out in the scene and then the overnight hours of the race hit Alonzo got in the car overnight and then just kind of you know did his thing his overnight session is one of the coolest sessions I've ever seen at night. Uh, 
and even though it, it kind of struck me, I think about this now of uh, Lando Norris's overnight session at the Daytona this year when he was just in the wet on slicks, seconds a lap faster than anyone else on wets. Like it was, it was some special stints from Fernando, and really he got it. He was definitely had the hang of getting through traffic in the night. Also, I find it odd that you did not mention the uh, recent Toyota failure that I actually found to be the most painful, which was how brutal an early 2017 happened. Oh, God, yep. I forgot all about that. Dude. Yeah, it was just like, <sighs> goodness. At, th- at some point, they had two cars that were still in the vic- front for victory, and then they had none. It was in the span of an hour. Right. It was in the span of an hour, and, you know, bless you, Vincent Capillaire. I'm, I'm glad you were able to live that down. Um, oh, so, so um, we're going to consult the first of our, we're going to consult the first of our hashtag racer metric section here. Um, based on the 40 fastest race laps, and this was actually compiled by one of the drivers in this race, David Heinermeyer Hansen. Uh, turns out Fernando Alonso, his fastest 40 racing laps, were the fastest of any other driver by about four tenths of a second. Uh, David himself says to put Alonso's achievement of topping this chart by four tenths of a second in perspective, in 2017, 16, and 15, the top driver in LP1 would claim their position on this measure by less than a tenth of a second. He's, he's real quick. Yeah. Yeah. As a t- yeah, as it turns out, some, maybe not all, but some of this attention is uh, kind of justified. I, uh, I, I don't know if it's okay. justified to be, yeah, Alonzo is that good, but he's one of six drivers. I mean, yeah, one of six drivers racing for Toyota. Yeah, and this uh, also, you know, it doesn't do justice to the fact that Jose Ramiro Lopez in the seven car was putting in some absolute hero stints and for a while genuinely had that number seven Toyota up at front of the field. And we'll talk about how their race uh, unfolded briefly. Um, so we did cover that Fernando Alonso is a really good racing driver. He brought a lot of hype, a lot of it unhealthy, though some of it justified. But I do like that at the end, it was Kazuki Nakajima who had to sit in the car hopelessly as it crawled to a stop, and that Porsche rolled past him in 2016. This time, it's Nakajima who takes the win, avenging 2016 alongside Sebastian Buemo. Excuse me, Sebastian Buemi, who avenged that 2016 loss. Pour one out for Anthony Davidson. I know he probably... He worked so hard to be a part of that victory. Um, and the team will admit that, hey, this is as much his victory as well because Davidson was, of course, the person who was asked to step aside for one Fernando Alonso. I think it was really cool to see Kazuki Nakajima take the checker flag for that for that race because Lord knows, for, for whatever cynicism you feel about the way that Toyota were lined up to win this race... I don't know if you can begrudge Kazuki Nakajima at all for all that he's been through just in a short time in this race, having wins escape him in 2014 and 16 and 17. Yeah. And yeah. Here's the I, thing. I, I feel like we've gotten, uh, you know, but I feel like we've overlooked again 
like in the ways we did when Audi had like a flawless year when against almost no competition is that surviving the 24 hours has actually been the harder part of winning this race for Toyota than outright pace. I feel like we're diminishing their accomplishment in a lot of ways by saying, oh, the privateers weren't up there. Well, yeah, because they were a bunch of pumped up LMP2 cars. Yeah, I got feelings. Uh-oh. I got feelings about how people are writing off Toyota. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh, Patrick, uh, just just lay it on us. Bring those bring those hot takes right to the oven. I hear, Full disclosure, in 2016, after the failure that was, uh, I went on a press trip to the Nürburgring that was by TMG. So I then got to see the factory, meet everyone involved with this victory today. I've talked to the driver several times. I consider their marketing director a friend. Anyways, that being said, how many Audi wins out of their many were against no real competition? There were the Bentley Speed 8 wins against no real competition. Like, this comes around every now and then where the top car is so obvious by a month that no one's going to touch them unless reliability strikes. But then again... Corvette racing in some of the later GT1 classes... They were pretty much the only contenders, and nobody holds those successes um, against no competition against them. Nobody holds those empty class victories against Audi. And for kind some to, reason, kind to also bring it full circle back to the preview of the show. Remember my comparison: the Dream Team had no competition. Oh, oh yes. Now, granted, it. The dream team was different in that um, the USA suddenly got to stockpile all the talent in the world yeah. from the NBA, which they couldn't do before. This time, Toyota had all the talent on the shelf, but uh, all of a sudden, Porsche and Audi weren't there anymore. Like I look at these at these driver lineups up up and down on paper, I'm thinking the rebellion cars probably got the best chance on paper if you just look at their personnel. But it was clear that even matching them was going to be a stretch just by the way the first yeah. handful of laps broke down. Yeah. Um, <sighs> those mm. first couple laps were, mm. uh, I imagine, a bit demoralizing for a couple people in that paddock. Um, it, including, I think, no start to the race more demoralizing than Jensen yeah. Buttons, uh, who didn't even get to really start the race uh, on time thanks to an issue with that SMP car. And in all honesty, it only got worse for SMP from there. Right. Um, so as nightfall fell, Matevo Sazakian, whose last name I can never get right, and I apologize but because Matevos is a good kid, but he spun it in the Porsche curves and backed it into the tire wall, and bless him, he tried so hard to fix the car by itself. It was shades of Satoshi Motoyama in 2012 with the Delta Wing, he was he was out there trying to rip the uh, the back panel off the car himself. He had the phone attached to his helmet, trying to get this thing uh, trying to get this thing free, free out. And nope, that seventeen car just would not go. Eventually, Jensen Button and the number eleven car did start the race, albeit now an hour down. And bless them, they almost got to the end until they broke down in the final hour of the race. So there goes one they potential like challenger, they had perhaps the strongest challenger of the, of the non-rebellions. Rebellions. Even with, uh, by the way, everyone owes it to themselves to look up the GIF or the video 
of the SMP finally failing after the rear deck lid comes off. Those sparks are the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh, oh man. Uh, things just get more depressing as you go down by the hour. We talked about um, talked about depressing efforts. Um, Baikal's racing. It almost looked like they weren't going to start. Bless them. They finally got the car off the grid, and the car did not catch fire under its own power. It did eventually catch fire when Dominic Cryhammer um, got punted off and wrecked on the last sector of the course. The car did catch a little bit of fire, and it was eventually written off. Bye. So there goes Bye. another hard luck challenger. Bacholes. <laughs> uh, probably the surprise of the race was Dragon Speed, because they essentially had to rebuild their car um, after the Fittipaldi crash. Um, and their race ended just after sunrise, I believe. I, I did not get to see what happened. I just know they were there in the race, hanging around one day, and then they were gone. That's like, yeah. I feel feel there were a couple cars that just disappeared in the night without any real fanfare. Yeah, that's. It. I don't. I don't know. It. It felt like. I wasn't expecting more of a challenge. I just felt that more cars would be a part of a weaker challenge. Yeah, I... Yeah, it, yeah, it was uh, in hour 17, it was Ben Hanley who was a, one of the quicker drivers in the qualifying sessions when that car, uh, Ben Hanley spun and hit the wall with the Porsche curves. Um, we're going to see a, this come up a lot, so that's the Dragon Speed BR1 out of the way. Uh, the two Manor Janettas don't know much about them but they're definitely in trouble and they were kind of in trouble throughout most of the race but to their credit they got one of them to the finish uh which is not bad for a team that literally had to skip spa and looked like they were about to get lapped by lmp2 cars early on in qualifying yeah yeah <sighs> yeah for for a team that put that much pride i i feel very bad for them because I know a lot of that is not up to your boys, Patrick, Graham Latin, John Booth. And it's not on the drivers, and it's not on Janetta, who built a really nice-looking car, yeah. but it just was not meant to be for them this year. No, but the fact that they were able to basically make it at all after what happened at the very start of the season, where Janetta and their suppliers were withholding parts for you yeah i'm they'll god that keep manor down is a for next year in some capacity right it was uh this race gave us a uh this race here gave us a very good quote because it was uh it was i believe it was uh charles robertson leo Russell, and michael simpson in the number five car they were the fit they were effectively fifth out of the five lmp1 finishers uh but mike simpson gave us a very good quote the chassis is phenomenal. I've been quicker than the likes of Fernando Alonso through the Porsche curves all day. And I'm a bloke from Hull with two kids. That shouldn't really be possible. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it is. Let's, it's back to Toyota. It's back to Toyota because some 
we mentioned the seven car was in contention for the win, but things got weird in the last couple of hours for them because Kamu Kobayashi said that he forgot to came in on one of the final stops of his uh, of his eleven lap stint. Matsum of stint lace is going to be something we'll talk about on this podcast and not necessarily in the glowing light, but he went out one lap too long, which meant that he had to crawl around with no fuel in the car for like a whole lap. And then they got slapped with two separate penalties, which essentially served the same purpose. One for, I believe it was violating the Matsum stint late, and then another one for doing the same thing again. Well, did they not get... I mean, both Toyotas at some point during the race were also hit with uh, one-minute stop-goes for speeding in slow zones, because... Apparently, like, Buemi and everyone was just allergic to seeing slow zones. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. And credit to Eduardo Freitas for just cracking down on that shit early on. Yeah, there was also some some minor controversy in the final three hours of the race when uh, the number eight Toyota got dropped while the wheels were spinning off of its jacks, but they kind of let it slide because, one, who was going to touch them, and two... There's a loophole where apparently it's all right if it's the electric motor and a clutch problem that kicks them off. They weren't going to check too hard to see if it actually was a clutch problem, were they? Also, no. No, insert that I've already seen a crazy conspiracy that uh, uh, Kamui threw the number seven victory on purpose. You know, I... Mm. Something he I don't buy. No, that. anyone that knows anything about Kamui Kobayashi knows knows he would refuse to do that. Right. I I take Kobayashi's word uh, that he and Conway and Lopez did a very good job at this race. They just, as sad as it is to say, they just couldn't match the the A car on the team. By the way, it's very weird that. Uh, because I, I got the, the car numbers switched around, and I'm thinking, like, that Nakajima Buemi Alonso car really should be number seven, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? It, it just feels right. It, it sounds felt like right it should have been the seven that won. After the past couple, I felt weird about the eight being the prime car of this race, too. After 12 hours of reliability, I finally felt safe enough to go stand up, take a quick shower, refresher in the middle of the oh. race. So I was watching as much as I could. And then I put on my Toyota Gazoo racing shirt. And I was like, well, if anything happens in the back 12 hours of this race, it was definitely me. And definitely my fault. Because I loved and hoped to. <laughs> but I think that shirt's safe. I think I can mark that down as a safe race shirt to wear. Unlike anything McLaren I own. Oh, goodness. Um, so yes, uh, at the on the overall podium, it's the number eight Toyota TSO50 hybrid of Buemi, Nakajima, and Alonso, winning with 388 laps on the board. They were ten, nine or ten laps short of the all-time distance record set in 2010 by Audi. Uh, the number seven Toyota of Conway, Kobayashi, and Lopez finishing two laps down with 386 laps posted, and the re- number three Rebellion Racing. And this is a bit of a surprise, but to see two young drivers, Thomas Laurent and America's Gustavo Menezes, along with Matthias Bishop, very solidly understated veteran driver. Uh, 
They were 12 laps down, but they were on the overall podium with 376 posted. And to their credit, outlasted the more experienced trio of Senna, Lauder, and Yanni in the number one car. It was weird that the Ghost Vert and Senna was that far behind. Man. I feel, I, I honestly feel, and I know, I know, Patrick, I know you feel like the Rebellions wouldn't have stood a chance. I feel like a lineup of Senna, Lauder, and Yanni, you put them in a Porsche, they easily could have given the Toyotas a run for the money. But we'll we'll never know in this post-Dieselgate, post-recession, post-LMP1 hybrid bubble burst uh, era that we live in. I just want to point out, if you take all the Toyota drivers out of the equation, you know who had the fastest top 40 race laps average? America's Gustavo Menezes. <laughs> and who said Americans aren't good at turning right in race cars and aren't ready for Formula One? I'm so proud of Gustavo, by the way. He basically bossed it in LMP2 in 2016. I was very proud of him that day, and I'm very proud of his performance getting on the overall podium. Man, Thomas Laurent was an absolute beast under the circumstances. They they always they have their stuff together, and I feel like with a little bit more budget behind them and probably a little quicker car, I, I think it would be a lot closer at least. We'll see what happens by this time next year. We'll see what happens over the next few WEC races. But, you know, if you're a fan of very close competition to LMP1, this may not be the season for you. And this may not have been the race for you. And that's fine. Because, uh, who, the other classes? Man, they were uh, they were very close and competitive. Especially after some uh, <clears throat> amendments. So, what you, what you thought you saw from the get-go... Uh, after Edex Sport took pole position in their Michelin-clad Orca 07 was an absolute all-time beat down by G-Drive Racing, by TDS Racing. Andrea Pizzatola, the, the, the amateur driver who's not really an amateur, Roman Rusinov, the pro driver who's not really a pro driver, and one Formula E championship leader, Jean-Eric Verne just took turns molly whopping that field i mean goodness um they were by far and away through the first couple couple hours of the race yeah i don't think anybody was going to touch them they had a they completed 369 laps they were set to win this class by there we go uh would have won the class by two laps jean eric verne was an absolute monster throughout the day just quick stint after marathon stint all day long it looked like this was going to be the year of John Eric Fern and him doing the Lamar Formula E double so fast forward to Monday afternoon and uh <laughs> oh goodness um turns out there was a Fueling rig irregularity. Ugh. Fueling rig irregularity. Uh, the G Drive drivers, the G Drive team was able to fuel their cars faster than their competitors by a margin of about six to eight seconds. Hmm. You could put all that extra fuel in the car. They basically pulled a Benetton in 1994. 
uh, and the stewards decided that uh, that's not within the regulations, that's not kosher, and they, along with the number 28, TDS Racing Orca, were thrown out. So everything you just saw from Vern and Petzatola and Roman Rusinov, that was a lie. Didn't happen. You were you were lied to this whole time. Damn, I was, man, that. Mm. And all snark aside, that's gutting for John Eric Vern, considering how he put that team on his back. I know he didn't do anything wrong. Andrei Pizzatola didn't do anything wrong. Roman Rusinov, uh, yeah, I don't know, because he's been a part of two teams that now have been thrown out of the yellow stand, two standings in a span of six years. And uh, and some some more hardened sports card listeners who listen to this podcast might remember 2015 at Fuji, where basically his team did the dump and run to win the Yellow P2 title at the expense of KCMG Racing. Yeah, which uh, that that went over like a fart in a church, to say the least. That uh, but. Out of all that, we still got we still got a pretty good winner, the Sigma Tech Alpine team, winning for the second time in three years, and the common thread with both of those, Nicolas Lapierre, another at Toyota guy, but you know what? It was only very fitting that uh he got to take the victory. This is his third LMP two class win in the last four years. He won in twenty fifteen with KCMG, twenty sixteen with Alpine, and twenty eighteen with Alpine again. And he's had three different sets of teammates every time. This time, former, uh, this time it was former uh, GP2 driver and Indy Lights uh, driver Andre Negrau and Pierre Thierrier, who is a true gentleman driver and a pretty quick one at that. So quick, so good. Deserves it so much. Yeah, I think it was very fitting that, you know, LaPierre was one of the guys who helped Toyota get back off the ground in LMP1 2 when they, excuse me, LMP1 when they launched back in 2012. Uh, got pushed out of the team. It happens sometimes, but he's made an absolute killing in LMP2. And goodness gracious, um, he's done so, so very well at this. Um, we also need to bring up the fact that as all the aforementioned LMP1 privateers were getting picked off, there was a chance we were talking about it didn't ultimately happen that the LMP2 cars could get back onto the overall podium as they did last year. That would have been so funny. And also such a brutal indictment of how terrible these LMP1 privateers are in comparison to cars that are better developed and also, you know, better funded. Also, can we also talk about the fact that you know, Tristan Gomendy, who was hooked up to a very questionable part-time Indy 500 drive. Uh, as it turns out, he uh, it turns out he had a pretty good fallback by finishing second in class with Graf SO24 racing in their Orca. And while the Orcas did have an advantage, we did get, out of all the disqualifications, a Leger on the class podium. And folks, there is only one, Pablo Montoya along with Hugo de Sadelier and Will Lowen. That's right, Montoya on the podium in his first Le Mans. It wasn't, it wasn't without drama. 
uh, Montoya himself had a crash, and he admitted that he kind of ran out of talent. Uh, they had some dramas late in the race, but hey, they stuck with it. Seventh overall, third in class. Do you do you kind of think that maybe Montoya beats Alonso to the triple crown? Maybe. Are you don't know if Alonso takes a bit too long to move uh, to to get his Indianapolis win? We could see maybe Acura. You know, entering the whatever hypercar class it is, and if Montoya is still around, <laughs> he'll probably get a ride well, with Penske. Well, well, here's the thing: Montoya is not too far removed from a t- test with Pet Porsche back when their LMP run program was still going. That's true. The only thing I think he has going against him, I don't think it's his fitness, and I don't think it's his speed. Is you know, are it would any manufacturer aspiring manufacturer team take a chance on a driver who is going to be in his mid-40s by the time that opportunity rolls around can we also give props as well to team malaysia sarah sarah Hayden, we love you very much and we're so proud of your guys jasmine jafar nabel jeffrey and wayron tan for finishing fourth in class and pastor maldonado ninth overall with roberto gonzalez and nathaniel berton at dragon speed Ninth overall and fifth in class. That's that's very good. Yeah, that was that's a very good. Tremendous performance. Oh yes. Um, so everything you saw in LMP two was alive. Well, not all of it, but you know, we got some we got some good material out of it. Um, Two thirds of the podium was alive, statistically. No, just one third because TDS Racing they got close. Uh, Loic Duval was trying his best, but just couldn't catch him and. Oh goodness, poor Loic Duval. He was he was fastest on this chart that uh, that handsome that David Heinemeyer handsome put up. He was fastest by eight tenths of a second over John Eric Fern. Loic Duval was content to win this race by his damn self if he needed to. He's a former overall winner of this. Yeah, he's he's real good. I like Loic. Very very good. I'm I'm shocked to see Ricky Taylor as far down at this list. By the way, it's at DHH Racing if you want to see these lap charts. And also, thanks as well to the Bill B Pillar. That's at the B Pillar on Twitter. A lot of fun infographics where, in a race that's kind of hard to track, sometimes it's fun to look at it through infographics and spreadsheets. Maybe like a little this. bit, yeah. This is this actually makes endurance racing a lot more engaging for me on a personal level. And it's also fun to kind of do my own projects with this as well. I know we kind of do that with Super GT. And the, the giant m me, I've still got to do that for Suzuka. I probably said that in an episode weeks ago. Yeah, I That's think fine. you did. Yeah. <sighs> so let's, uh, let's mosey on down and avoid my responsibilities by diving into the saga of hashtag Smoky Bacon. a good show uh it did not disappoint especially if you were a porsche fan who has fond nostalgia of days gone by that's right the pink pig livery from the 70s it's back 
the Roth. No, we can't call it the Rothman's livery. It's it's the Rothman-esque livery. It's back, and uh, they finish one two. Pink Pig ahead of the Rothman's car. Bacon ahead of Smokey. That would be Kevin Estra, Michael Christensen, and Lawrence Vanthor, despite the complete demolishment and ruination of the Porsche curves, by which his car is named, somehow managed to survive and persevere and win the race ahead of the Rothman S car, Smokey, as it's been effectively nicknamed of Frederick McAfee, Jimmy Bruni, who shattered the class record in Paul qualifying and Richard Leeds. I tell you what, um, they were pretty much in a class of their own all race, weren't they? Goodness, they they had a race all to themselves for like 24 hours, it seemed, apart from some ebbs and flows here and there where some other cars got involved, but it was pretty much them for from start to finish. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's no secret I was vocal about preferring the Rothman-esque car. Uh, oh, I, oh, I did too. I said in the preview that, you know, if it were down to looks, they should have won this by 20 laps. Thank you. Uh, I, you guys kind of, I'm kind of bummed that, uh, Core also didn't, there, there are enough classic Porsche liveries to, you could have thrown at least one more. Done the, done the hippie Porsche. Done the high hippie 917. That would have been perfect. Do a, do a classic Brumos livery while, while we're at it. Livery. Oh. That car is basically a GT1 car, anyways. Um. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh, yep. And it's a it's a loud boy. Um, so while we had Porsche celebrating a one-two victory with their heritage livery cars, entered from the European side of the operation, the American side of the operation uh, did not fare as well as both the '93 and '94 Porsches with their very standard and drab run-of-the-mill Porsche liveries both broke down and uh, failed. The new corporate livery is good. Don't at me. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's not It's not as terrible as everyone makes it out to be. It's just fine. Chevrons, RJ. It's got chevrons. Come on. <laughs> I actually get my, get, I get my gas at Sunoco, but thank you. Controls. And IndyCar, let, let us not forget, and that might be a good time to pivot to the fact that Ford had three IndyCar drivers and probably the best chance of toppling Porsche. But despite some good performances from the likes of Dirk Muller, Andy Prio, Harry Tignall, and Sebastian Bourdais, who, by the way, was very unimpressed with Super GT's superstar alumnus Frederick McAvecki um, after pulling off an odd pass on almost over the track limits and then Bourdais basically implied that if it wasn't for him sharing a car with two other teammates he would have put McAvecki in the wall Bourdais <laughs> if I've ever heard one oh he was especially salty he was salty about balance of performance which you know uh huh Ford, Ford got Ford got a good break on BOP once, so how dare they ever allow to be complained about ever anything ever? Oh, by the way, we're gonna give Aston Martin another performance buff, and it's still not gonna be yeah, enough. Yeah, here's the thing. No, Ford's not allowed to talk about BOP ever because of how much they lied. That they, that car is fine now. 
they were uh even though we should be mad at bmw for doing the same exact thing in a way because hey guess how many m8s have been sold zero guess how many will be sold the next 12 months probably zero it's not a real car yet <laughs> not a real car yet but they do, they they hashtag do it the right way BMW were also present surprised in the fact that they were genuinely quick. Like, the 81 car probably had a chance at an overall at a class podium, and yeah. then they kind of blew it. But they still showed the pace, which Aston Martin with the new, very good-looking, but very slow Aston Martin Vantage uh, just didn't get together. Darren Turner said as much. It's not a BOP thing. The car is just set up poorly, and they haven't gotten the setups right at all first year at Le Mans goes unless you are Ford or BMW and the thing is like Darren Serner said of course the car is not comfortable if it were comfortable we'd be really worried yeah um, so the Fords get the last spot on the podium uh, that was the 68 of Han, Muller, and Bourdais team that won it in 2016 uh and uh, Corvette and Ferrari, they were there thereabouts. They had a solid race. They didn't make any mistakes. The 63 car was decently quick for a, for what is now a five-year-old car. And they, they just couldn't kind of move anywhere. A lot of this had to do with maximum stint lengths. I believe it was 14 laps or 15 laps or do at a time. Yeah, it was, it was 14 laps. <laughs> 14 laps you could do at a time, and this was all to try and put the performance not in the hands of the strategists, but in the hands of the individual drivers who are all evenly matched. And with the cars evenly matched, it all makes the drivers, it all puts hands, puts it in the hands of the drivers and equalize the car's performance and equalize the strategy. Except once everybody kind of found a position, they just kind of stayed there. Which yeah. is they sure balance the performance because yeah, they sure because they balance the mm, scales by making sure they mm -hmm. don't move. Yeah, because if you have everyone doing fourteen laps like stints, you just have you know you know a series of fourteen lap sprint races for the over twenty four hours. And we always joke about, haha, Lama is. Lama is a registered trademark 24-hour sprint race, but you break this down and do 14-lap sprints, it, it didn't really produce good racing. Uh, not to say that the on-track action was not good, but we would have liked to see, like, Corvette, Corvette's main, main game is that, you know, they could go off strategy and pull some miracles at times where they didn't necessarily have the fastest car because of strategy. Um, Lena Gade, who was an absolute delight on Radio Lama as a last-minute addition to the commentary team. By the way, I very much appreciate all the post-layoff uh, saltiness she was bringing to the table. I love what a lovely, delightful woman she is. Oh, she's the a best. Lo a, lo a lovely, delightful, three-time Lama winning engineer. Uh, who was very, very upset at how the strategy was playing out, especially in the later parts of the race. But she did not pull pull any punches. Shoutouts as well to the entire RSL team. They did a 
fantastic job covering the race and everything leading up to it. And, you know, as independent broadcasters, they were going to be brutally honest. And, you know, there were times where I thought John Heindow was going to literally spontaneously combust in the booth <laughs> from all of the weird shit that was happening in this race. That sounds like him. He had some, he had some rough takes this, this race, I felt like. But, you know, that's the thing that's going to happen over time. It's 2018. I feel like it almost makes you. I, I kind of feel like, and I know there are some situations, obviously, where even all the equalization could not have, you know, made things even. Look at LMP1, for instance. But I do kind of feel like by trying to make everything more equal, by just over regulating everything, they've made it less equal. And the thing is, like, a lot of the problem is the fact that with a lot of the ACO's decision makings with equivalence of technology, you know, why are the Toyotas effectively mandated to be a half-second factor faster than everybody else? You know, why are you making late BOP changes uh, the day after qualifying and the day before the race? Every bit of that could have been explained in a more transparent manner, and maybe we kind of wouldn't have this deeply sown distrust in everything the WEC and the ACO have done over the past several weeks. Yeah, because I mean, King is that, King is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a fair assess- assessment. Like it felt like there was a lot of puppeteering behind curtains, like where sort of put in a position where you kind of you kind of can't 100% trust the ACO to be, you know, a fair arbiter of regulations. Are you telling decisions that made things one worse and two maybe weren't above board? Are you trying to tell me that about those storied French organizations? <laughs> I dare you. Yes. Because, again, the 14-lap maximum stint, it, it makes it seem uh, equal on paper, but again, it creates a situation where the whoever can do a 14-lap stint the fastest is going to be your winner. And you end, up, you end up in a situation where, you know, maybe the privateer LMP1s could have been better off if they could run longer stints. We, we'll never know. <laughs> But we'll we'll never know because they had had maximum stint lays posed on them from the beginning. Yeah. And delta times that they had to meet and not exceed from the beginning. And I'm like, what is, I'm like, what is this? GT3 24 hour racing? Like Yeah, that was that was a point that was made as well, is that, you know, some things at Spa have, that the Spa twenty four have gotten kind of sketchy. Can we also point out the fact that both Tony Kanaan and Scott Dixon got their teams penalized for not meeting the minimum overall drive time. Oh, I mean, I know, you're, I, know, I know you're both used to short form racing, but my dudes, my dudes, you could you could do a little bit more. Scott Dixon could do a lot more. Have they have they put out statements saying what happened with that? Not that I can yeah. find. What what? Okay, because I. That means it's that means it's the embarrassing we didn't do the math yeah. right one. Um, Tony Kanan only drove five hours and sixteen minutes, 
and I believe it was Scott Ditson as I'm doing my real-time research. Um, yeah, Ditson. 12 <laughs> minutes. Scott. Three laps. Guys, he, he got so used to the really short stints on American Ninja Warrior that he just couldn't do it. No, no Ditson did uh, 83 laps, but okay. the thing is you had to do at least six hours of the race. Didn't quite get there. Tony Kanan didn't, couldn't do 45 extra minutes. I mean, just pretend you're <laughs> at Texas. Come on, bud. You can just float through it. But I think the uh, the interesting angle to all of this is uh, is the fact that, you know, the Porsche dominance didn't stop in the pro category because in GTM, dare I say, things were McDreamy at the top step. No, we didn't get the chance to see uh, Patrick Dempsey win his class at Le Mans as a driver, but his team, Dempsey Proton Racing, did win it, and that's that's sufficient. That's very sufficient, I feel. Yeah. Matt Campbell, Julian Adlauer, and Christian Reed taking the victory in the number 77 car. Which, by the way... Matt Campbell, Julian Anlauer, two very good young drivers. I feel like Campbell and Anlauer especially, who's only 18 years old, and and a very generous silver-rated driver, if only because he's young and somewhat unproven. Um, I feel like they're going to be studs for a long time, especially Campbell. My my goodness. Um, he got a chance to be Shane Van Gisbergen's co-driver at the Bathurst 1000 last year. I think he's going to get a similar chance, and I think he's going to just show, like, hey, I could actually hang with the big boys that are around full-time if I don't decide to pursue this Porsche deal. Good day. What a, what a fellow Patrick wins something in motorsport. Vicariously. Yeah. Hey. Uh, <laughs> also, that photo of Dempsey is a, uh, a screaming on the pit wall is also very good and shows how much he still even though he's not driving anymore it shows how much he his heart really is still he in. cares about this sport he he cares about this there's there's no acting i think like if it in a behind paul newman of course dempsey's probably the solid second best actor turned racing driver there's ever been i'm sorry yeah. tell that to and, frankie muniz <laughs> I'm sorry. What what is how many how many Omaha podiums has Frankie Muniz been overall. a part of lately? Don't don't fact check that. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> yes, uh, second in class was the '54 Spirit of Race Ferrari. Thomas Floor, Francesco Castellacci, and Giancarlo Fisichella, fastest of the drivers in this pro am category, and by a considerable margin. Yeah. Noted DJ. Oh, no, no, no. Shit, really? Uh, at the Lone Star Lama two years ago. No, that's what he did in between those couple years when he, after he replaced uh, Felipe in 09, and then before going back to sports cars. No, he mm-hmm. was a full time DJ for a while. He still DJs. He's apparently very good. I can't believe Ra- Raul Boisel DJs well into his 50s and 60s. Isn't that what Jaime Aguasuari is doing right now? That's what I would do if I was I hope they're all that's I hope they're all living their best lives now. Um because Raul Boisel, in addition to being an accomplished DJ, is also an accomplished shore host jumper. That's one for you, 
mid to early 90s kart fans out there um, and the 85 Kading Motorsports car that's effectively Risi Competizione under a different name but Kading, Jerome Bligamo and Lucas Stoltz had a chance to uh, topple the Porsche hierarchy in GT Am but Ben Kading kind of beached it I know I know Patrick it's hard to accept that you know a Texas businessman would uh and a Texas A&M graduate, Ben Kading, would uh would chuck it away like this. He's actually, I am shocked that he would bend it like that because he's usually actually quite handy. Yeah, he's very good at this. Just you know, it stuff like that happens. He kind of lost in the wet conditions, and you know, he's I lost now I... that they stopped making the Viper. <laughs> Bring. All I'm going to say is I'm glad that they've at least put out a concept and it might be back soon and maybe with an engine that makes more sense in this day and age and it's still going to look nice. Please. I'm going to be that person. It's not the Viper without a V10. <laughs> the worst V10. A terrible V10. I, I'm, I'm just convinced you're, you're, not, you're never going to be a fan of the Dodge Viper no matter what kind of engine they put in it. Very fast. But bad. We we can never be friends. <laughs> Listen, some garbage is acceptable, and that's all I will say on the matter. Um, you mean the ACO's rules for the twenty four? Har har har. Har har har. Yeah, this acceptable might be garbage. A, yeah, that's that's. Uh, we've we've already covered it at length, but I. I was just sitting on a at a point, you know, that I I, I kind of feel like you know there's there's brilliance in simplicity, and I feel like you know the ACO still have time in between this year's Lama and next year's Lama to kind of sort out what went wrong this year. I don't expect drastic changes because I know that's going to come with a new set of regulations uh, that are proposed for 2020 slash 2021 because. We're getting hypercars now. That's going to be our new prototype uh, class. That's going to be our new premiere. We're getting hypercars. We're getting we're getting LaFerraris and Aston Martin Valkyries and McLaren P1s and Toyota GR Super Sports. So DPI light. Yeah, it's it's a DPI like hypercar. DPI if hypercar. You will. <laughs> DPI. I don't know what it's going to be. Oh shit, God. Well, <laughs> Diaper car. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> That might act. well. This should we? Is this a bad time to point out that the ACO is having like an open competition to name the new top class? <laughs> no, no, no. Why would you do that? Why would you do All that? Right. So even money. That's how we come up with hypercar McHypercar? I was just about to say that's got even money, even money on hypercar McHypercar face. <laughs> um, oh Jesus! So I. I've had a chance to look over the regulations. It seemed like they want to bring in a lot more manufacturers, obviously. Want to bring some back, want to bring some new ones in the top class fold. Um, they want to slash the budget by one-fourth. Uh, they want to meet uh, much much more conservative lap times. Target lap time of 320 around Lamar, which is getting dangerously close to LMP2 times, but we'll just leave that to the side. Um, they want to make the hybrid power more attainable for potential customer teams, so that you have to sell it with a single hybrid powertrain. 
Um, it all looks very good on paper, and you know, ultimately the goal is still for the WC and IMSA to create a common top class. Um, out of all this, what do you see the future of the premier class of Le Mans looking like? As I want to believe it's going to be good, because I feel like the top class definitely needs some reinvigoration. Will it meet all the expectations? Oh, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I. So here's the rub. I think uh, I think if they are going to be around 320, I think the year they are brand new and still kind of unreliable at Le Mans is the one year where the top class will be beaten by an LMP2 car, and it will be deeply embarrassing for the ACO. I don't think anything will be as embarrassing as Daytona Prototype's debut race in 2003, where they let a GT, uh, a, a GT2 class Porsche Cup car win the fucking thing at Daytona. Well, I mean, that happened like two years ago at Petite. I mean, granted, but that was in monsoon conditions. And yeah, that was, was a, a lops- Yeah, there was a there were nightmare conditions, and it was a lopsided tire war. They didn't have those excuses in 2003. Yeah, and I'm also assuming if once the hypercar category becomes a thing, LMP2 won't be LMP2 anymore. Yeah, this has always been like... But the thing is, like, what do you just scrap LMP2 and replace it with LMP3 so soon after you've devised this global LMP2 formula? See, the thing is, it's always a tricky puzzle catch. You get rid of LMP1, okay, now you have LMP2 as the top class with no manufacturers. So then you kind of have to scrap LMP2, and now it's all GTs. But where do you put the prototype runners? You put them in LMP3, where they're going to be awkwardly as quick as the GT cars? No, I I think they're going to have to come up with... A category between the hypercars and the and the GT cars because it it wouldn't be a good look if they get rid of the top class prototypes and still have prototypes on track. No, yeah. So you need. I think the reality of what it's going to be is LMP two gets renamed. LMP two gets renamed, but it's because there's no way the IMSA teams will let. yeah. Hey, we spent all these money on these deep, quote unquote, all this money on these DPI programs, and now we can't do anything with them uh, at all. And then that case, and in that case, you know, you make a compelling point. Like, why wouldn't the ACO just adopt DPI as the new top class just because it isn't theirs? Yes, exactly. Yes, that is oh, a yeah, total, yeah, that yeah. is a legit ACO thing to do. <laughs> most ACO reaction, actually. You made this? I made this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think, out of all this, though, I think there's still a lot of enjoyment that we had. Um, was the best meme of the 24 hours of Lamar the screen caps of all the 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 mechanics lying asleep on the floor and in their chairs um at random points of the race or was it photoshops of the bmw m8 looking like a macro sized giant car the m8 the m8 without a question 
I'm not going to lie. I saw it chasing down the three micro-machine-sized Ford GTs <laughs> and not laugh till I threw up. <laughs> oh, my God. And I just started giggling uncontrollably, and it was the happiest a race car image had made me in a very long time. Shoutouts to noted sim racer and GT world champion, and deserved better than to be slow all race long, Nikki Tim, for sharing some of that stuff uh, in between stints in the car. I, we kind of forgot to talk about it as much as I wanted to. It's real weird that Aston kind of got this vantage so wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, it, I know the, kind of the, the last Vantage kind of started off slow. All of their sports cars kind of start off slow, except, like, the DBR9. Right, yeah, and I think, as we covered, it was mostly down to setups. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that they'll, take, they'll need to take time, and it just so happens that their next race just happens to be at home, just happens to be these six hours of Silverstone, which is now in the summertime, so it's not going to snow all goddamn weekend. Um, final thoughts on Lama. This was a race that brought a lot of feelings out of us even before it started. Um, and we got the result that I think a lot of people were expecting, some were hoping for. Um, I, I, I came away knowing that even though I kind of knew that Toyota were going to walk this, you know, nothing was a given absolutely nothing was a given during that race and i feel like no matter how much everything seemed to be skewed in their favor that's still a massive achievement from a manufacturer who was kind of owed something at lamar for times past i know i would have loved to see them beat audi and porsche in a straight-up fight but they did the best with what they could i'm very proud of alonzo and buemi and nakajima for finally closing the deal and getting a win for Toyota. Like, that's that's massive, no matter the circumstances. Yeah. And I think everybody who finished that race has a lot to be proud of. Every team, every driver, every set of mechanics, they have something to be proud of. Lamar has had lean years before. Um, this is this is not necessarily a lean year because there was still a capacity grid and a good, healthy dose of competitive racing across the three lower categories um you know maybe this is not an all-time classic but you know there's still something that's very special about this race even to the even the casual observer uh this race is still something that a lot of people recognize it still means something to every team every manufacturer and every driver takes part and i don't think that will ever go away no matter how much politicking there is backstage because lord knows you can't post a breakaway round of one of these (laughs) or would they host it (laughs) put we'll just put it on the bugatti circuit oh my god but yeah yeah those are certainly a lamar for the record books but not the highlight reels lamar is rarely ever one for the highlight reels but it's always one for the record books Oh yes, um, King. As as the official uh, as the official candidate for FIA president, um, how would you rate the eighty six running of the twenty four hours of Le Mans? Ooh, I want to say I, I feel like I'm rating it higher than a lot of other people. I want to say either leading towards seven, but I'm probably going to say six point five out of ten. We're giving it 
We're giving it 6.5. Toyota finally won the damn things <laughs> out of 10. Yes. Uh, Pat, Pat, how are you feeling about this one? I probably artificially high because I finally got to see my friends win. That felt good. Even if I, I mean, I, I had the, I had low expectations for the level of challenge that Toyota was going to face. So I feel like I was never blinded by that at any degree. I would have liked to see Aston fight back better, but I, I feel like a six point five at seven is probably where it's at actually yeah um this one's tough um i feel like i feel like the result that it gave i feel like the sense of accomplishment that all the winning teams feel like it's tough i i gotta go with like a uh i'll i'll give it a i'll give it a solid uh I'll give it a solid sits weird uh, seizure-inducing close-ups of the Ferris wheel at night that were caught on the TV mm-hmm. camera at <laughs> a 10. Oh, no, we're giving it... Actually, no, we're giving it a sits awkward Tom Christensen uh, telestrator segments <laughs> out of 10. Oh, my God. I did not even see the audio for that. And I could just feel the cringe wash across me from from across the screen as I was watching that. It was real bad. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It was real bad. <laughs> Damn it! You okay. managed to make you you managed to look make Mister Lamar look very awkward and out of place at Lamar. How do you do that? The man won Lamar four hundred and seven times, and you're gonna do that to him? You're gonna do him dirty like that at his home? Was it was it him that was in the fat shirt? I believe so. Somebody was in a fat shirt. I, 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 <laughs> I just op- sorry. I just opened the photo of the BMW chasing the Fords again. <laughs> please, please oh, give dear. it to me. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> it's so good. More sleep deprivation. Oh shit. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm trying not to laugh. It's almost 11 p.m. as they're recording this. Now I know how Dre feels. Um, oh, goodness. What else did we miss? Um, Red Bulls hooking up with Honda. Um, some people not named Martin Wishmarsh. What? Martin Wishmarsh. Okay, Martin Whitmarsh definitely does not want Martin Wishmar- Whitmarsh <laughs> to come back into power at McLaren. It's all oh, employees who are disgruntled and want Martin Whitmarsh to come back. You know, the guy who sucked at running McLaren only slightly less than Ron Dennis sucked at running McLaren. Hey, hey, those those employees have fond memories of all those years that they were mediocre. <laughs> Ooh, let's not... They, they just broke a lot. They were and... real fast. They just broke a lot. Yeah, they were real fast, yeah. Uh, look, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's what they're thinking. We'll, we'll take that. We'd rather be fast and break down than not fast and breaking down like some of the time. <laughs> and that's and that's how we got a Lewis Hamilton dynasty with some so, other team. By the way, what's the what's Red Bull's new name? How what do they compete as next um, year? I don't know. Like um, I assume they they'll have to. Like, there's no way this the relationship with Aston Martin can continue now. So, do you know what that deal was done in though the title sponsorship deal? 
It was not what? cash. It was stock. It was stock. Ooh. God damn. That's why they're making the Valkyrie together. Mm. That is the Aston Martin Red Bull yeah. Valkyrie. And like Aston Martin has been teasing that they're going to, you know, this new hypercar class, Le Mans, they want to be involved, which I'm all for. If I'm FIA president, I'll, but, I'll try to BOP the shit out of that to get like Jamie Chadwick an overall victory. Consider, consider also, consider also though, Aston Martin, be, Martin might be hooking up with somebody else because guess who wants to get into Formula One and has been removed, rumored as a potential buyer of all oh, those. Oh, wait a second. All of VJ Malia's. Oh, <laughs> yes. RJ. Or it. Or it could be that beleaguered, that beleaguered Formula One team in Grove. The potential buyer of Force India is Michael Andretti. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. But it, but it sounds good. It sounds right. So I definitely want it to happen, which means it won't happen. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be cool. Alexander yeah. Rossi, I mean, so 2019 the... World Drivers Champion. But I, I want to know... Why is Michael interested in Formula One again? Because a couple of years ago, uh, he pretty much said uh, the only way he'd ever be involved in Formula One is if they'd allow customer cars, and they're not allowing customer cars. Yeah, <sighs> I, I, I mean, I did our my huge follow the money rant when we first saw this reported a couple day <laughs> nighted McLaren, yeah. India, Sahara, but WT. The Force India story already. Just, just scrape up all the money they can. Force India Part Two. Force America. Eddie Jordan's buying the team. Force He's back America. in. Buzz Buzz. Oh good. No. Oh no, they got caught smuggling cocaine in the cars. Oh no, Eddie. Come on, bud. And and on that bombshell, um, We've, we've wrapped up our recap of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and uh, we'll soon be reinstating Andre Harrison to the podcast next week as we discuss the uh, we discuss the French Grand Prix that's happening this week, uh, this coming week, the granddaddy of them all. Hashtag uh, granddaddy got, of them all. Yep, we got Formula 1 and Formula 2 in GP3 at uh, Paul Ricard. We've also got uh, we've also got IndyCar and Indy Lights at Road Ooh. America. What else we got? DTM and F3 Europe at the Norris Ring, where we're hearing some some reports about Class 1 and that hookup with GT500. <laughs> and by the way, Super GT back in two weeks. It's a good time to be. It's a... Oh. We've got, what, we've got seven Grand Prix in the next seven weekends or something crazy? Yes. Oh my goodness. And there's a chance that half of them might be good. I'm... Guys, <laughs> what do we do if Paul Ricard's somehow a good racetrack? What do we do? Um, 100-year contract for Paul Ricard. The granddaddy of all is back. We officially call it the granddaddy <laughs> Isn't that the internal name okay. for Chase Carey I... at Liberty Media? <laughs> Once a mustache ride. Come on. <laughs> I think on that point, never I think getting it's time invited to wrap back. things up. Remember... You can uh, you can you can back us. You can back the show on patreon.com forward slash motorsport one oh one for early access to to bike live and the motorsport one oh one uh, 
course, on this week's episode of Bike Live, we'll be talking all about MotoGP at Barcelona, the Catalan Grand Prix. Uh, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, still very good. First-time winners in Moto3. Um, Lots of tributes to the late, great Andres Perez. Um, And a lot more to talk about on the show on Bike Live, which you can which you can get early access by being a patron backer at the $5 level. For $10, you can even listen to the show as it's being recorded, which is which is really neat. You get to see all the mistakes as they are happening. But in all seriousness, though, thank you to everybody who backs us, and thank you to everybody who's, who listens to us this week. Thank you so much. And you can find us at motorsport101.com. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 and twitter at motorsport underscore 101 again our personal handles at harrison 101 hd dre will be back soon uh, at ryan eric king at rj o'connell at party pat 116 um pat places where we can find you and all the cool stuff that you um do. nowhere right now uh because i just uh started a full-time desk job that is not involved with motorsports in any way uh but you should see Hooray. things from me soon on motorsport101.com even it's dot com folks it's dot com we got the dot com name during day of classics three the third one yeah, I, I'll probably have some late thoughts on why uh, Monaco is good, actually, and y'all are just mean. Uh... <laughs> yes. Um, places you can find myself uh, probably stretching over the Braves stretch run towards the postseason. Um, that's really about it. Places where we can find you, King. Yeah, just motorsport101.com and on Twitter at Ryan Eric King. And at, uh, and at J.C. Penny. <laughs> and at J.C. Penny. You know, if you're ever at an appliance department in any J.C. Penny store, just just tell them you want to call the store in the in New York and they'll they'll connect you right through. That's right, folks. Ryan would have taken the FIA president's job, but he didn't want to take the pay cut. Yeah, come on. Come, come on, Andy Palmer. Fund my campaign. So, for Patrick Offsetter, for Ryan Eric King, and on behalf of Andre Harrison, who will be back with us very shortly, I'm RJ O'Connell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Sport 101 pa- podcast, and we'll catch you all next time. Sayonara. Bye. Bye. Seriously, Andy Palmer, just like, just wire me some cash. I'll run for FIA president. When I'm president, I'm making sure that either Nikki Tim or, or Jamie Chadwick gets an overall victory at Lebanon. You have my word on it. That's the absolutely. FIA spirit. I would absolutely fixing things. <laughs> I'm I'm also endorsing this if we can get Charlie Martin in there as well. Yep, come on, absolutely, come on, Aston.